Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves a covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, that your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, church family. Uh, We are about halfway through this series that we're calling Rebuild as we're looking at uh, the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, someone might ask, like, why, why would a church like ours spend this much time studying a story about how Hebrew people rebuilt an ancient city 2,400 years ago? Like, what's the point of it? Well, this story is a story of God's faithfulness. This is a story about how a community of people can come together and rebuild. This is a story about uh, the hard work of renewal. But it's also more than a story. Our view of Scripture is that as we come together, as we humbly uh, read and study and discuss, as we, as we place our lives within, uh, within, within the, the premise of the story, that what we find here is that we find a God who is faithful to rebuild our lives who has the desire for us to come together as a community just like they did 2,000 years ago to seek that God's name would be made great within our community and our lives would be restored. So uh, what might be helpful for us is to get a, a big picture of what's going on. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah at first were one story, they were one writing by one author. Later on, they were broken into two different sections. I, I saw in the The Bible Project, which I highly recommend for people who want to take a next step in reading and and knowing Scripture, the Bible Project broke down these two books into three different sections. 
uh, that are really held by three different main characters. The first section is around this man named Zerubbabel. The second was Ezra, and the third was Nehemiah. And Zerubbabel, he, his story is really about rebuilding the temple. Ezra was about rebuilding the community. He rebuilt it through the t- teaching of the Torah, through, uh, through his witness of what the scriptures were saying. And then we find Nehemiah, the third section, and what he is known for is rebuilding the city's walls. Rebuilding the city's walls. So at the beginning of Nehemiah, uh, which we're starting today, the beginning of Nehemiah, we find this character living in exile in Persia. This is modern-day uh, Iran. And this is 14 years after, after, Ezra, his, after Ezra came to Jerusalem and serve, uh, served in that way. But here's... Here's Nehemiah. We find him in the king's court. You can imagine him with a a fine robe, living in the palace, living in comfort, even though he is in exile that he's provided for. And yet, and yet Nehemiah doesn't forget that this isn't home. Even though he has found his way in such luxury and is uh, a position of great pom- uh, prominence, we find that he still has this deep connection to home, to Jerusalem. And he, he, his heart in many ways is there. Even though he's never been there, he has this sense of connection to that city. And one day, someone comes to the palace whom had just visited Jerusalem, and Nehemiah asked, what, so what, tell me about the city. What is it like? And now, to get a picture of this, I, I imagine, if you will, imagine with me, a friend comes to Austin and hasn't lived here in 10 years, and they say, hey, let's get together, let's, let's, let's meet up at our favorite spot, let's go to Magnolia Cafe on, on Lake Austin Boulevard and grab breakfast like we always did. And you'd have to look at them and say, sorry, it's uh, closed down. It's fried chicken shop now. Oh, really? Okay. That's too bad. Well, what about Shady Grove? Let's go there. Let's go to Shady Grove. After that, hit up some uh, dart bowl or something like that. <laughs> you just know that you're going to be breaking this person's heart over and over again. Okay, well, forget that. Let's just walk down that sleepy street. Was that over by the river, Rainy Street? Let's just walk down. There's nothing going on there. Uh, what we find oftentimes is like we have such sadness and loss when, when our home changes. When we see the place that we have such connection to, when that when that uh, alters, we have the sense of loss that uh, this place in which we love has, uh, has, has changed. And if we feel that way about our beloved city, Austin, I promise, it was so much harder for the Hebrew people to see what's going on in Jerusalem. And so, for Nehemiah, he asked his friends, he said, tell me about the city, and this is how he responds. He said, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And Nehemiah responds, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I think this is important for us to see uh, as we consider how we could rebuild our lives. But what does Nehemiah share with us is that oftentimes... New beginnings take place. They, 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 they begin in a places of brokenness in our lives. That oftentimes we wish that beginnings would take place in, 
and great uh, unexpected joys that oftentimes new beginnings, the seeds of new beginnings are that of brokenness. Even for us, as we look at our community, as we look at our nation, one could ask a similar report. So tell me, how is, how is America? How is Austin? How is our community? And what we could, I'm just imagining what our, the report could be. Yes, there's, there's just signs of beauty and goodness in our midst, but there's also chaos, confusion, destruction. The lack of civility that's prevalent in our culture, that would be, be part of the report. The riots that we saw just a couple weeks ago overtake our capital, bringing about chaos and fear. We find, uh, we find mixtures of symbols that should never be together. The symbols of a cross of Jesus' name in a lynching noose. <laughs> like those should never be seen together, and here they are. We see isolation and loneliness. We see homeless individuals discarded in our community, hiding underneath overpasses or found in city streets in their camps. This is all a part of our report. And if we're honest, if we're honest, what we see in our, in our society, we might also find in our own hearts the same very imprint of fear, of anxiety, of bitterness and judgment. So what do we do with this? What will we do with this report? Well, in many ways, I think we could follow the example of Nehemiah. When he heard this, what did he do? Immediately, he began to weep, to mourn, to fast, and to pray. I think for us, this is a time we should do all of those things, but especially right now, we should be people of deep prayer. I don't think, I think it's almost cocky in many ways for us to believe that we can continue to press forward in this future without deepening our prayer life, without deepening our abiding relationship with Christ in our solitude and our silence, without deepening our prayers. I don't know how we would expect to be able to do that. And this was Nehemiah's instinct. His instinct when he, when he heard a, a broken report, he didn't go into modes like maybe that I would do or you would do, like of, all right, how we're going to fix it. All right, who's to blame or dismiss or deny it? Like, not my fault. I haven't been there. I've never, been, I've never seen the place. But instead, he goes to prayer. Nehemiah shows us not only the importance of prayer, but he also, I believe, shows us how we can pray, pray in times like this. As I sat with this chapter this week, I, I was moved by how Nehemiah prayed. It began with him declaring God's name. That's the first thing we find in this prayer, is that he began by declaring God's name. Even though Jerusalem, the city of peace, is in shambles, even though it's just a ruin, even though this is just a, a concept for him, this idea of Jerusalem is just a concept for him, Nehemiah begins by pressing into God's name, even though he's in exile. He said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is, what he, this is how he begins it. God, I know you are a covenant-keeping God. You're a promise-keeping God. You are powerful. You're great. You are awesome. I'm going to begin my prayers with just remembering who you are. Even though that kind of feels emotionally distant, I'm going to begin there. And so we find that that's how Nehemiah begins, by pressing into the character of God. But then, secondly, then he begins to confess. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. 
We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. I think this is so countercultural. What we find in this confession is that Nehemiah begins by assuming responsibility. Though Nehemiah, he's never been to Jerusalem, it doesn't seem like he's turned from God. And though the sin and the judgment that caused the exile happened 140 years ago, Nehemiah confesses and repents as if he is responsible for it as well. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't blame it away. He doesn't look at other people. He considers his own heart and begins in confession. This flies in the face of our individualistic culture when we are so tempted to consider my life, my moral scorecard, uh, my failures, my successes over and against other people. Instead, Nehemiah flips it completely around. Instead of, instead of it being me and my, it's, it's us, it's we. Where have we failed you, God? And even we, like not even like right here and now, but the generations before. What we see in Nehemiah is he believes that the condition of his heart is connected to the condition of the hearts of the people. And what he sees uh, in Jerusalem, they're all together connected. And so he confesses and he repents. But then Nehemiah, he prayed something unique. This is what he says. Remember the instruction you gave your, uh, your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. God, you did that. We are scattered among the nations, right? But then he said this in verse 9. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your, your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I promise to gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen for my dwelling for my name. What I, what I love here is that Nehemiah is almost doing something audacious. Nehemiah is reminding God of God's promise. He's saying, hey God, you were good on the front end of that promise, but what about the back end? When you, when you said that if we would turn to you, that you would gather us again. It's almost like Nehemiah is saying, here I am. I'm turning to you. So can you gather us? Can you bring us back together? Can you restore your people? Do you remember your words here, God? And so we find Nehemiah is pressing into the promises of God. And, but with that, he finishes with one last thing. He, from declaring God's name to confession to remembering God's promises, he finishes by praying for favor. You see, Nehemiah has a plan. We find it in the last verse. He prays, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then, in almost a dramatic uh, literary uh, writing uh, tool, it, the chapter ends with this one sentence. After the prayer is over with, it ends with him in first person saying, I was cupbearer to the king. You see, Nehemiah was not an ordinary man. He was cupbearer to the Persian king, perhaps one of the most powerful people in all of the world at that point. And Nehemiah is responsible for bringing the king his wine. But this was more than just, you know, him acting like a sommelier. You know, uh, he was actually, this is a role of great trust and respect. Quite often in the ancient uh, times, uh, kings and emperors were killed by poisoning. So they had someone that was trusted, a person of integrity, who would act as the cupbearer, not only to select the wine, but before the king was given the wine, the cupbearer would drink it to ensure that it wasn't poisoned. And so... We find that 
now we see Nehemiah in a different light, that he's a cupbearer, he's respected, he's, he uh, has influence, and he has this sense of, uh, of authority and respect. So he is in the court of one of the most powerful people in that world. But I want you to notice the bookends of his prayer. The bookends of his prayer, I think, are really important. Nehemiah begins his prayer by saying, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Like this declaration of how powerful, huge, uh, awesome God is. But he ends it by saying, give your servant success today by granting him in favor in the presence of this man. Now, Nehemiah uh, should not be calling the king this man, but he also assumes that he is God's servant, not this man's servant. So what we find here is Nehemiah is not confused by power and authority. He knows the one whom is on the true throne. He knows the person, or he knows the one whom he is truly there to serve. And so, though we begin by seeing Nehemiah covered in this robe, in royalty, in this palace, in this far-off nation, Nehemiah knows who he is. And more importantly than, than that, Nehemiah knows whose he is, who he belongs to. He was in this place of power, influence, and trust, but he believed that he, he was there for a purpose. So he prayed for favor. I wonder, I wonder who God has placed in your life. Just the same, same God that knows every, uh, every hair on your head, who, who knows every day of your life, who has you here for a reason. I wonder what God has intended for the people whom you have influence with today, the people whom you share your life with. I wonder what God wants to do with the people that he has placed you in their life for a reason. You know, it's almost like if you remember, uh, just like Esther was told, that you are here for such a time as this, that God has plans and purposes for us. If only we could see it like Nehemiah. So chapter 1 ends, and it has this feeling, if you just keep reading, that the very next day, Nehemiah has this conversation with this king, like this long-awaited time. I actually, my first draft of the sermon, that's what I wrote. The very next day, Nehemiah had that. But when I was studying it, uh, the second chapter begins with describing where in the calendar they are. And what we find is that this next chapter takes place four months later. So four months after Nehemiah has the sense of brokenness, begins mourning, begins this posture of prayer and fasting, we find that God is in no hurry to make things happen. And instead, Nehemiah just is, is just saturating in prayer. He is, he is remaining there. He's abiding in this posture of prayer and of brokenness. He is lingering in God's presence. And I think that was part of the plan. Because one day, one day, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's inner brokenness starts becoming evident. And he goes and serves the king. The king realizes that Nehemiah is not himself. And he asks him, what's disturbing you? Seeing this as the answer of four months of prayer, Nehemiah begins by being vulnerable and saying, the root of my despair is that Jerusalem is still in ruins. And the king begins to show compassion. After four months of prayer, prayer and favor, uh, it finally led to this moment where this king begins with a heart of attentiveness and compassion listening to Nehemiah. And then the king asked the question that Nehemiah was waiting for. And the king asked the question, simple question, 
What is it that you want? And what we find here is Nehemiah has not just been sitting on his hands waiting uh, impatiently, but Nehemiah knows what he wants. And he says, these are the supplies. This is where you should get them. Here are the names of the people that I need to have letters to. Here are the names of the people that hold the timber, the lumber that I need. That Nehemiah wasn't, he was preparing for this day, believing in faith that one day it would happen. I don't have to force it. I just have to be prepared. And this, honestly, for me, is a great leadership uh, lesson that we find here in Nehemiah, is it's really easy to point out problems. It's really easy to say, hey, here's the problem. Jerusalem is in, in ruins. But when someone comes to you, well, what is it you want? Uh, true leaders, people who are prepared, they know what they want. They have a plan. They don't only point out the problem, but they also they provide a solution. And Nehemiah, he's ready. He's, he has that. And so this king sees that, hears that, responds by going the extra mile. He provides not only the supplies and protection for neighboring tribes, but he also gives them soldiers to help them with safe passage. God had heard Nehemiah's prayers. And so what we find in the end of the second chapter is that Nehemiah now makes his way to Jerusalem, and it ends with Nehemiah at night, goes and inspects the walls, and it's just like he would heard that the walls were in ruins the destruction had happened. The city was broken. And yet people, they had heard that Nehemiah was there. And so they came out. And they asked him, what are you doing here? And Nehemiah began to give testimony, began to bear witness of what God had already started to do. How the word came to him, how the king has provided everything that they need, that God is already at the move. And then the people hear Nehemiah. Nehemiah asks him, will you join me in rebuilding this? And after decades and decades of seeing these walls and ruins and not having any sort of passion or energy or strength to rebuild it, the people say in unison, we will build it together. It all began because one man was brokenhearted because one man saw something that was not right in this world and wanted to make it right. It all began because one person mourned and prayed to God. What we find here is that it's, this took place not only because not, Nehemiah is a great leader, but because God had longed to gather the people again and restore, restore the nation once more. One of the great surprises of God's work of renewal and rebuilding is that it often comes from brokenness. In 1947, after visiting China, this man by the name of Bob Pierce, he was struck by an encounter with one young woman who was in poverty. And her face stuck with him. On, upon arriving on the flight back, he wrote a prayer into his Bible. It was a simple prayer, one that maybe many of us have heard. And the prayer was this. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. This is a simple prayer. Break my heart for what breaks yours. But man, it's a dangerous prayer because God's heart is huge. And anytime the image of God is destroyed or afflicted in this world, it breaks his heart. Anytime the vulnerable are exploited, it breaks his heart. Anytime there's division within the church, it breaks his heart. So when we pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, what is dangerous because we might be compelled by a huge compassion to, to partner with God for the renewal of all things. 
And what we find here in this story is that one prayer that Bob Pierce had from the face of one young girl ended up, he ended up creating an organization called World Vision that has sought to change the lives of thousands and thousands of kids around the world. This is a dangerous prayer because for Nehemiah, it sent him on a journey. For Bob Pierce, it sent him on a journey to leave uh, the comforts. For Nehemiah, he stopped popping bottles of Cabernet, and he was sent off into Jerusalem with a difficult task of rebuilding in the presence of enemies to, to call the people together to renew their city, to renew their nation, to renew their community. Though others have gotten used to living inside broken walls and living in disgrace, Nehemiah saw things differently. You see, Nehemiah's sorrow will eventually be the seeds that will lead to comfort. And it's not lost on, on me, or nor should it be on us, that Nehemiah's name literally means the Lord has comforted. See, this is what God wants to do. In the brokenness of our world, God wants to bring about renewal and comfort. This is what Jesus did. Even once Jesus saw Jerusalem, the same city that was being rebuilt, and in Luke 19, as Jesus saw this city, he, uh, he approached Jerusalem and he began to weep over it, saying, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You see, Jesus saw the brokenness and need in our world, and he didn't refuse uh, to be compassionate. He didn't withhold his sorrow. He didn't finger point or blame. Out of love and compassion, Jesus left the comforts of heaven, just like Nehemiah left his palace. And he came to us in the midst of our rubble, he came to us so that we could be renewed, could be restored, to take the destruction that seems beyond repair and to show us in him all things will be made new. This is the good news of Jesus. There's nothing beyond his redemptive power. There's nothing beyond his redemptive power. No one, no community. So I wonder, friends, I wonder if we've grown accustomed to living inside broken walls in our lives, in our community. I wonder if we've gotten accustomed, just like the people in Jerusalem did, gotten accustomed of just living with a sense of what could be, but not having the sense of calling and strength, the hope to rebuild it with God. Have we grown content with life as it is? Or do you want do you have hope to be filled with God's redemptive work in this world? I want to tell you, it all begins with one prayer. So let us pray together. God, I pray that you would fill us with compassion. I pray, God, that you would fill us with a sense of brokenness for the things in our world that are so far from your kingdom, are so far from your intent, your desire, your longings for us, so God, I pray that you'd give us a vision. Give us a vision, one, of who you are. That you are a God of power. You are awesome. You are faithful. You are good throughout every generation. Give us a picture of who you are. Help, help us to confess where we have fallen short. Not only my own life, but our life. Give us a broken heart for what breaks yours. God, I pray that, that you would give us favor as your people to help partner with you to rebuild the broken places in our lives and our world for your namesake. 
And friends, I just want just to pause and just have some space for you to pray to God. Specifically, where in your life there might be brokenness, whether your personal life or in our community, where it just seems that there's just been destruction, ruin, rubble. Perhaps you've gotten used to it. You maybe feel stuck in a life that's less than what you believe God's intended. Lord Jesus, I pray you would move us. Help us. Restore us. And I pray, God, that you would rebuild our lives. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.